Zev Melzer, welcome to episode five of Common Ground. How are you today? Thank you very much. Yeah, all well. It's uh, it's good to have you back. And the reason why I say good to have you back <laughs> is, uh, as with many of my first podcasts, we uh, we take this a little bit ago, and uh, it didn't work out exceptionally well. So I've decided to tape it again in a professional form. So I hope you're excited by that, mate. Oh, majorly. (laughs) (laughs) One of these fancy mics. (laughs) It's all all going well. It's all going well. Um, Mate, it's great to have you on the show. Um, The reason why I really wanted to have you on was because you are an absolute go-getter in the Melbourne beer scene. And uh, I wanted the common ground audience to really understand what you're about um, a bit about your story and then talk about where you think the beer landscape is going in, uh, in Australia uh, and in the Melbourne market as well because you know that exceptionally well. So why don't you tell the Common Ground audience a bit about, a bit about your story and your history? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, my journey started uh, about 10 years ago in a religious boarding school over in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, I think, because of a lack of access to alcohol otherwise and probably not loving being away from Dad's liquor cabinet for an extended period mm-hmm. of time, that uh, we decided that um, brewing would be would be our, our next project. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> so as 16-year-olds, um, uh, we, we set off to a small village outside of Jerusalem to find a Californian guy named Denny to supply us with beer making supplies <laughs> <laughs> and um, and started <laughs> and started um, uh, brewing in the school kitchen so we didn't we didn't we lived in a dorm so we didn't have a kitchen mm-hmm. um, in where we lived and so you need a kitchen to brew beer you need a flame or some sort of heat source and we didn't have one of those so okay. uh, we had to break into the school kitchen and it was only open on a Thursday night from you know, after 12, after the commercial cleaners had left. So, so we'd kind of get, go in there and bootleg our beer and then, um, and then lug it back to the dorms and ferment it over in, uh, uh, next to our beds, which was terrible for us. Because <laughs> no one knew. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, and so this is where all the passion comes from. It was me mm-hmm. and three mates and ended up coming back to Melbourne and, um, go to university, studying finance, um, got a job um, in finance, did that for a few years um, and uh, got to the point where I was pretty, um, I had to make some some real decisions about where I wanted to take my career and take sure. my life and what I wanted to do for the mm-hmm. rest of my life and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't happy staying where I was. I was uh, doing well there but, but wasn't passionate and wasn't driven Mm-hmm. Um, to continue where I was and decided that I had to follow my passion and I had to go and brew beer. Sure. Um, I had a pretty pretty compelling you know business plan and um, I had been producing beer for about eight years um, on my own and had a pretty good handhold of you know what constituted as a good product and what yeah, didn't sure. and had some pretty pretty cool recipes that I wanted to try and and use. So. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that's that. That's where it all. That's where that, that's where it all happened. Mm-hmm. Made a decision to to. You know, you know, go and do it, and went and did it. Went and yeah. did it. Went and did it. Been in market for about sixteen months now, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, we hit market. We weren't sure whether I was going to have 
thousands of liters of beer sitting in my parents' garage. (laughs) (laughs) To see where it would actually go. Or the opposite. Um, We're very fortunate within... I I was actually still working when we launched the product. I was still working in finance because I couldn't afford to to mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. um we hit market and we were forward sold for three three for after three days we we're forward sold for two months sure um and that was in the few days that i'd taken off to try and sell this to market yeah wow. <laughs> so once i saw that initial reception i just said that's it i've got to i've got to do this and i went and handed in my notice and and uh became a full-time job after only a few weeks so zev i think in a lot of hospitality stories there's often a turning point in which people decide they want to go into hospitality can you give a recall when that actually was for you that made you decide you wanted to go gung-ho in this beer brand yeah absolutely um i can um so uh, the whole the whole project was a long time coming. I'd, I'd spent much time working on the business plans and models and things, um, and uh, but the but the turning point where I actually made that decision to go and do it was mm-hmm. um, I was at my parents the one afternoon after work, and um, I, I was talking to my mum about. Uh, how I wasn't enjoying what I was doing and mm-hmm. oh, I, was, I was complaining about this one and complaining about that one and mm-hmm. um, oh, I don't want to be doing this yada yada you know how it is yeah absolutely <laughs> I want to quit and my mum my mum turned around to me and said well if there's one thing you could do for the rest of your life what would it be and just off the cuff I kind of just went I don't know brew beer or something and <laughs> or something yeah. <laughs> and she goes alright well then that's what you got to go and do yeah right and uh, that was the turning point I said okay I'll go brew beer yeah I'd uh, uh, through this all the way through university and working I'd been um, brewing you know in my own time yes and I'd come home from work at uh, you know nine o'clock and you know brew until you know four in the morning yeah right um, and so, and it wasn't something that was difficult or hard to do. It was a passion. So for yes. me, it was kind of like, I was, I don't remember if I was actually brewing that night, but it was, I was probably on my way to brew or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's one thing you could do. Yeah, I'll brew. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so that's, that was really a turning point for me. And I, I, the next day I set some things into motion and um, really solidified um, some of my plans and um, uh, yeah, started moving forward. Yeah, right. And and obviously Once Bitter is such a good name. Was that something you had come up with previously before you decided to launch or was that something you sort of decided as you decided you actually wanted to make it full time? It was part of the journey. Yep. So um, it was, we, we by the time it was, it was decided way before we actually hit market mm. because we had to get packaging made and we had to kind of understand what we were doing with our brand. Yes. Um, but it um, it wasn't something that I had knew. It was wasn't something that I knew at the time when I was having that conversation with my mum. Yes. Um, so it happened. In, it was. It really happened in about halfway through the brand development and mm-hmm. discovery and what we were trying to say and where that was trying to come from. And the story behind one spitter, if you're interested, yes, is, I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so our, our brand is all about uh, Melbourne and Melbourne laneways. And, yes. Um, but, but what Melbourne, Melbourne laneways really stands for, for us is um, this journey away from 
mainstream and towards craft. So yes. um, this is really something that we're passionate about, mm-hmm. whether it's moving away from mainstream uh, beers and towards craft locally made products or whether yes. it's coffee or whether it's wine or whether it's mm-hmm. clothes, what, what, whatever it is that a person's passionate about making that journey from. I think mm-hmm. it's a journey that a lot of us um, certainly in, in my generation are making. Sure. Um, and um, I, uh, I'm i passionate about telling that brand story. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, making that approachable to, um, you, you know, people that, people that I guess, I guess are not, and not predisposed to the hipster way of life. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Can handle that culture. Yeah, the yeah. more corporate um, guys that are still wearing, you know, you know, suits and ties and mm-hmm. um, working in, you know, office buildings behind a desk. And for me, uh, Melbourne laneways uh, are the escape from that. Right. Um, they're where you go to meet that, you know, barista that you know on the first name, yeah. on a, by his first name basis. And yes. he knows exactly which coffee you like. And yes. That experience. Um, so for me, Melbourne Laneways really sung true to our brand. Mm. So we were kind of, all right, great, what are we going to call this thing? Mm. And um, we we're searching through mood boards of Melbourne Laneways. I came mm-hmm. across this picture of Hosea Laneway in 2013, um, and it just was a whole wall just said, once better. And I just looked at it and I went, yes. Yeah. Is that the one that's on your website at the moment? Uh, no, it's not. It's a different one? That's a different one. Yeah, cool. And what's interesting um, is uh, I went, okay, cool. Went once better, it sounds right. It's all, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's, it's mysterious. It's interesting. Yep. Um, it's my story. So it's about, you know, once being bitter, but not anymore. It's about yes. being passionate. Yes. It's, you know, uh, and uh, so decided to, that that was the way we wanted to go. So we said, all right, cool. We better find more pictures of this once bit of wall. Yes. Uh, especially because there was obviously an artist and we didn't want to take the artist's work and yes. you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so we, um, uh, so I went searching for this once bit of wall, searching, 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 could not find another picture of a wall that said once bit in Melbourne. Right. And um, we um, eventually, eventually I actually was typing it into Google and made a spelling mistake and typed in once bitter not once bitter right and it came up a plethora of these images of, of course this, of this it's actually a very famous piece of art done by a melbourne artist i can't tell you which one i don't yes. know i don't know which one it was yes um but quite a famous piece that says once bitter and twice sh- twice shy, twice shy yeah. um and it, well, the picture that i had seen had cut off halfway through the end and it had said once bitter um, and so that was that was the inspiration for it. Yeah, right. Um, and so it was great because we weren't infringing on anybody's you know words or yeah, intellectual or property or that. anything like mm-hmm, that. We didn't mm-hmm. you know we didn't end up copying the script or anything like that of the artist. Yep. Um, so um, yeah, so so that was so it was some great inspiration. That's where the name comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did um I know you've obviously built your brand differently than a lot of others in this space might do. So. So with yourself in your mid-20s, obviously, you've got great rapport. Everyone can understand that you're obviously very articulate. I, I think it'd be quite easy in this marketplace at the moment for you to go and get a lot of funding in order to really like do your own factory, produce your own beer. I know that's not what you're doing at the moment, but you're staying really true to what your product is. Can you explain what, how you're actually making your product and getting it to market that might be different to how other people are doing it currently? Yeah, sure. So... Um 
essentially for the moment what we do is we we rent space in other breweries mm-hmm. so we're a gypsy brewer yep um so um i mean i mean that's from a pure production point of view mm. um there are others out there that do something similar yes um but um you know certainly when we got started you know i'm a young bloke i don't have much money yes um and uh, it was a matter of okay how do i get my brand out to market with yes. my recipes that i've developed and mm. i grew um um and try to get a bit of traction before i go and spend a whole lot of money on an actual production facility mm-hmm. uh, which is very much in the pipeline something that we very much want to do yes um, um, so so uh, we're, we're not completely unique in that sense um, but but it is it, it has been a bit of a different route to market uh, something else that we've done uh, quite differently is we've really gone um, and heavily invested in on-premise distribution okay um, so we feel that uh, on-premises where uh, brands are built Yes. Uh, there's a whole lot of you know data and statistics around um, if a person is able to um, work reverse engineer it. Mm-hmm. Let's reverse engineer it. So a person that tastes a product on um, on premise is more likely to purchase that product again, both yep. in that venue and also. It off premise than they are if they were to simply pick something off the shelf of a bottle shop. So while it's important for us to go and attack bottle shops, um, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. um, right now it's about really being focused about creating a really cool brand. Yes. For the moment in Melbourne, um, in venues. Yes. Close to the CBD, um, and that's been that's been really quite important for us. Um, and then the other side of this is really investing in our brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really wanted to create uh, a, a lifestyle brand around beer, which hasn't been done before. Mm. Uh, certainly in the craft beer space, mm. in the, in the mass, definitely. in the mass market space, Peroni is a really good example mm-hmm. of a lifestyle beer. Yes, uh, and all their marketing and. Um, uh, collateral and everything's you know they've got the you know they've got the beautiful French Riviera yeah. you know setting and Amazing. it's all about mm. it's all about beach and lifestyle and if mm-hmm. you go out to kill the beach in the summer you'll yep. see Peroni everywhere yep. but so that's very much lifestyle mm-hmm. and nobody's really done that in the craft beer world mm-hmm. uh, and we've gone in and we said well we also want to create that we want to create a lifestyle product sure not a french riviera lifestyle product like peroni mm. but a melbourne lifestyle product yeah cool. and we've gone really really hard in um making sure that everything that we produce from a, a production point of view is um is is you know on brand and focused and melbourne and you know melbourne laneway and cbd and city and all those kind of really cool energetic mm-hmm. um vibes that that we see as um as as us absolutely so if you go back to your reverse engineering point and going back to what you talked about with coffee you're really using that on-premise experience with the publican rather than a barista with coffee to give that authenticity to the brand yeah correct so you haven't really promoted you know when when most people probably think of craft breweries in australia and america they're thinking of a whole lot of guys with massive beards making making massive warts and making making uh, making beer yep. but don't actually think about the brand but you've taken it from a from a, a, a obviously a great product which you really control and make sure it's great for either your publicans or either in your bottles that you're doing um, and, and making sure you're really building a brand around that lifestyle 
area, which is really, as you said, really different and really iconic. Thanks. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> That's something I'm passionate about, <laughs> so I appreciate it. What do you, what do you think you've learned? I, I think a lot of, a lot of businesses, but especially a lot of food businesses in this space at the moment and in food, um, food and drink learn so much in the first 12 months because there is so much social media, um, expansion and all that kind of stuff. You can really make or break yourself in that first 12 months. What do you think you've done exceptionally well in that first 12 months of your 16 month journey so far? And what, what, what are the couple things you think you would do better if you could? Um, it's a great question. Mm. Um, so one of the things that I think we did well, um, was, uh, we just got out there with a great product. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean, if you, you've got to have a great product, if you don't have a great product, then people just, I mean, people might buy it once, but they won't rebuy it. Yes. Um, so, um, so, so we nailed the product from the beginning. We didn't stuff around with it. Yep. Since we released that product, it hasn't changed at all. Yes. Uh, even though we've had plenty of opportunity to play with minor things, yes. we haven't changed it at all. We haven't needed to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Nail the product. Mm -hmm. And we did that. Um, I think what's also really important was, um, just get out to market just do it and I'm, those two two things that I've just mentioned there may conflict on some level but if you can get a great product don't faff about um, don't worry about the small things you'll figure it out just get out to market and go yes um, because at the end of the day you know there's 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 the longer you wait you know the the, the more opportunity you lose uh, to this day if I if for some reason I'm not able to get a you know couple kegs out to somebody before a weekend because they've mm -hmm. ordered late, it bums me out. Yeah, of course. I feel like that's an opportunity yeah. that I've completely missed. I'm never going to get again. Yes. Right. So just take every opportunity and just go and do it. Just mm -hmm. get out there and, mm -hmm. and give it a crack. Because mm -hmm. the truth is that most of the time, uh, doing well and being successful is really a matter of just getting yourself out there. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you just gotta, you just gotta go, and you just gotta try. Mm -hmm. um, and what stops people usually from being successful is that they don't give it a shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yes, there are different levels of success, and some people are, you know, madly successful, and some people are not. But you know, um, every overnight success ever, ever in history has taken a minimum of thirteen years. Yes. Um, so <laughs> so, so you got to be. Yeah. So again, success is, is a, um, how do you define success? It's a whole other question. Yeah. Um, but, but just get out there and have a crack. Um, and what did we do that wasn't so great? Um, thinking back, um, I guess I would have liked to have had a more robust plan of um, my, the next product I wanted to release to market. Right. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have from have had from day one a more robust plan of kind of my brand hierarchy and okay. where I wanted to go with different releases and different products. Okay. And that's something we're still trying to figure out mm -hmm. and uh, would have been something that, you know, would have been easier if we had figured it out from the beginning. Sure. But we just wanted to get into market. And yes. I don't regret that, but it's something that I would have liked. Mm. Um, I guess something else that we that we could have done better was um, set up uh, more robust management systems from day one. 
Mm -hmm. it took us some time to and I'm talking about management systems I'm talking about CRMs and ERPs and you know logistical um, operations and accounting softwares that just would have saved us heaps of time if we had just done it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, actually, interestingly enough, I was at a lecture by a fellow named George Foster, who's a um, leading uh, professor in Stanford yep. um, and one of the leading thinkers on scalability in startups. Sure. And something that he he said was he did a whole bunch of research. Yes. Uh, and the outcome of his research, um, the the one major thing that he picked up from it was. Um, something along the lines of startups that set themselves up in the early days with management systems, CRMs and ERPs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, are generally find them being much more successful in scaling than those that don't. And that is like the one common denominator in, the, in startups that are in Silicon Valley that have just gone absolutely bonkers and the ones yeah, that haven't, right. which I found really interesting. So mm. so I, so I we've gone and, and actually gone in a process, we're still on the process to fully integrate um, um, you know, management systems, but I feel very strongly about, about that. I think it's an important, important thing to do. Sure. All right, Zev, now you've obviously created a brand now in the last last 16 months, which is really popular, obviously, through social media, been in a lot of on-premise sites in Melbourne. You're now getting to the point where you're getting a lot of people, I'd imagine, coming to you and offering you different opportunities, whatever they would be. Do you find it hard to actually decision-make and go yes or no to certain ventures that have have popped up in your your space? Yeah, um... Yeah, I do. I think it's we, we're constantly getting approached by mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, heaps heaps of people. I, I would say I get two to three a week, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I've always. I mean, if if it's a small thing, if it's you know a case here and a case there, then we're generally pretty generous with sure. uh, you know what we what we give people, mm-hmm. um, and and of, you know if it's a case and we get a few photos out of it, then great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, when it starts to get a little more costly, if it's you know five or ten or twenty cases or mm-hmm. kegs or whatever it is, mm. um, we generally think a little bit more about. You know whether it's something that we get good bang for back with. Yes. Um, I mean, my suggestion would be to any listeners out there that are downstream from us, people that are setting up events, people that are you know doing um, uh, launches or things like that. You yeah. know, reach out and just ask because yes. a lot of the time the answer will be yes. Yes. You know, if it's yeah, a couple true. of cases, you know, we'll just say yeah, no mm. drama. It's easy mm. for us, and mm-hmm. we'd love to you know align our brands with people that are cool and on brand for us and um, that could potentially be customers in the future so and that absolutely reach out um, but uh, I think it's it's really important to go in with your eyes open and make sure that um, certainly from our perspective that you know what you're getting for what you're giving um, and uh, as long as you can justify that you're fine yeah cool alright so obviously you're in you're in your mid-twenties you're, you're lucky enough to have a young family as well like but you're in a beer space right you're in a beer <laughs> space which is which is night driven and all that kind of stuff and, and would take up a lot of your time. How have you found that balance in nearly the last two years in the inception of this brand to balance the importance of your family life and also this business, which is taking so much of your time? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's less of a, um, it's less of a question directly t- 
targeted at the beer space because I mm. think most customers, most beer customers recognize that breweries are only open in regular business hours. Yeah, and for if sure. They need, um, if they need stock outside of those hours, they've got to wait until the hours that mm-hmm. they're open. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, we offer 24-7 deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> How convenient. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Um, so our customers are, are lucky in the sense that they're um, they're spoiled, um, and that's something that I consciously um, decision that I've consciously made and manage, and I'm happy to continue doing. Mm. Um, but yes, it's, so to answer your question, yes, it's difficult, but I think it's difficult starting any business. Yeah, of course. Uh, and the things that take up my time outside of business hours are not so much um, uh, not so much customer related more so you know admin and you know sitting there in the early hours of the morning or late hours of the night just trying to keep up with my emails and yeah for um, sure. you know make sure that that my admin and books are up to scratch and mm. um uh yeah so so i think i think it's it's difficult and it's hard uh, you've got to be you've got to be passionate you've got yeah, to love what absolutely. you're doing yeah. you've got to be committed to it you mm-hmm. can't you can't you got to, you got to know that it will you know will get hard. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a famous uh, Jewish proverb that says if somebody's um, if somebody tells you they're they're successful but they didn't put in any effort then you just shouldn't believe them. Yeah, of course. Because it just can't be true. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, if you're successful <laughs> you put in effort and that's that's just the way that it is. Uh, so um, yep. Yeah, so you got to understand that it will be difficult and there will be long hours. And uh, but if you're passionate and committed to what you're doing, then you won't have any dramas with that. Yep. So so talking about working hard, I want to dovetail into that. What is the next twelve months for for a concert brewing look like? Oh, it's a great question. Mm. Um, I'm full of good questions today. It's quite good. yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because that's why you're the interviewer, right? <laughs> Um, you're nailing this. <laughs> um, the I would say next twelve months, I think we'll see a few new products come out. Sure. Um, we may see a rebrand. Okay. Um, we may see a uh, beginnings of a of a brewery with a venue connected to yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yep, those are, I guess, some sneak peeks into kind of what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also activate our off-premise strategy at yep. some point in the next 12 months, so you'll yep. be able to buy us. Uh, yeah, hopefully you'll see us uh, uh, off-premise a fair bit more, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly across Victoria and hopefully nationally, but sure. that's yet to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is the reason why I think off-premise is important is because you've now built that authenticity in the brand and, and you think it's a good time to do it or is it just a gut feel that it's the right time or? Um, I think that um, I think that there is yes yes so it feels <laughs> the right time to do it it feels like the right, it's the right time to do it I feel like we've um, we've gotten good proof of concept on premise yes and even though you know there are many customers out there that don't know our brand yes uh, which really just excites me because Mm. it means that there's more people that we can tell about it yes talk to about it for sure um um, and that it's you know new to a lot of people which is great and there's a lot of there's a lot of power in that Mm -hmm. um i think that um i think that my number one um reason for really pushing hard in on premise in the beginning was because in the 12 months that we've been around, we've gotten a, a, a huge amount of sampling. Yes. And we've got a lot of people, certainly in Victoria, that 
um, have tasted our product and um, uh, will recognize it when it's on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know that there are lots and lots and lots and thousands of people out there that are drinking our products and then coming back and then choosing them again and again and again. For sure, for sure. Um, and on-premise has been a place that we can test that relatively easily um, mm-hmm. with not a huge amount of risk and not a huge amount of um, difficulty. Um, so we've gone and we've done that and we feel that we're now in a position where we're confident that our product is good. Yes. Uh, and we're ready to, to, I guess, push that out to the other you know, avenues. So going back to this whole talk, do you think, and just listening to you, do you think this one of the secrets of your success, of which there are many because it's, it's very multifaceted in how you've grown so quickly, is the fact that you've done... Your, your product-led business, but also a marketing-led business. So you've balanced the to-consumer sampling, <clears throat> being, in, being in with that publican like a barista in a cafe, um, but also balancing really good social media content and driving that brand. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think it's something that's overlooked a lot of the time in early stage businesses, um, certainly in the craft beer world, um, I think that uh, I think that's that has been a lot of the reason that we've seen the success that we've had on premise. Um, you know, people that go to inner city bars are cool and interesting, and mm-hmm. most of them, or a lot of them, have Instagram. Yes, um, and a lot of them are following unique and interesting brands and unique and interesting people. Sure. Um, and those unique and interesting people are drinking our product, so mm. why shouldn't they? Um, and I think that focus um, uh, has been, has, yeah, let us, led the chase for us. Yeah. Cool. Obviously a lot of, um, I know in, in America at the moment, I think there is something like, you know, tens of thousands of craft breweries now, mm-hmm. where there used to be in the eighties, it used to be just because of conglomerates and probably a handful of craft breweries. Yep. And obviously that's changing in Australia as well. Yep. I, I think, I think if I'm knowing the beer spaces I do, that's, that's largely because obviously more people are drinking beer and caring about the beer they're drinking. And I think a large majority of those of that market is now becoming female. So mm. I think females are now starting to actually drink a lot more beer than mm. what was had before, mm. especially in that younger demographic. Mm. Do you feel that's coming through in Australia from sort of what you've experienced with your own brand? Yeah, it's, ac- it's really interesting. Um, the, the consumer, the beer consumer is changing yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this was the first year in 10 that we've seen an increase in overall beer sales um, across or beer consumption across Australia, yep. um, uh, and that was due to the craft beer boom. Yes, um, I think what's happening in the beer industry today happened in the wine industry, you know, thirty years ago. Yes, um, I I personally think that we'll we'll do better than than the US. So in mm-hmm. the US, where you know, <clears throat> craft beer depends on who you ask, but craft beer makes up say circa 15 to 20 percent of the of the the overall beer consumption um uh i think in australia we'll surpass that yes currently again depending on who you ask we're somewhere in the five to ten percent mark so Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of expansion still to come sure um i think that uh the female demographic um 
is becoming educated mm-hmm. um, about their yes uh, previously or I shouldn't say the female demographic because everyone's becoming educated about their but yes but it's it's affecting females more so than males and the reason for that is because traditionally if you just go back and look at any of the VB um, classic VB ads yes uh, beer was marketed towards the male tradie all the time uh, mm-hmm. right um, and it's all about you know hard earned thirst and yes. you know you know you know fellow with a high vis singlet on yep. you know you know smashing a bottle and that mm. kind of thing and that's obviously not something that attracts um, you know females or really the you know the younger you know the you know the the, the I think we're called gen gen. We call millennials. That's millennials what we call. Now. Okay. I love when we talk about millennials. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so it doesn't attract that. You know that kind of marketing doesn't attract um, us millennials. Mm. Um, so uh, so I guess I guess I think as the population becomes um, more educated about the health benefits of yes. beer, for example, you mm-hmm. know a lot of craft beer is probiotic. It's got live yeast in it, similar to yogurt. Yeah, it's good right. for your stomach. It's not it doesn't yeah, give right. you a doesn't give you a beer belly. Wow, um, you've heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know uh, hops have been used in herbal medicinal for herbal medicinal remedies for you know thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there are some really interesting and cool things about beer, and it's certainly a lot more healthy than a lot of the other sugar loaded. Um, products, alcoholic products out there on the market. Absolutely. Um, so, um, so I think as people become conditioned um, to understand that it's not only a, a tradies, a male tradies drink, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and start to connect a little more to the to the um, lifestyle and marketing side that we're trying to bring to the market. Sure. I think we'll see uh, a, a big shift in the in who the beer drinker is. Okay. I've got two more questions for you before you go. Um, first one is, I, I think the, uh, there's there's now artistry coming through with beer, and if you and if you go to any good um, wine beer retailer at the moment, uh, all their beer is pretty well. Probably fifty percent of their beer, sixty percent of their beer is now in cans, and and of that, there's a lot of artistry that now plays a role to market beer in a fridge. Yep. Do you think that's a positive or negative thing in the marketplace at the moment? And why do you think that's actually happening? Um, I think I think what's happened is... Uh, look, uh, to me, anything that promotes artistry mm. and culture mm. and employment of artists... Yep. I, I would like to promote. You'd be behind. Yeah, yeah, I'd be behind because I think that that's an integral part of society, and yep. you know there are some incredibly skilled people out there that you know can't can't you know make ends meet because there's just nobody who wants their art. So yep. so anything whether it's packaging or whether it's um, street art or whether it's you know anything along those lines, I, I I'm happy to promote artistry. Yep, right? cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, as to the question of why it's actually happening. What's happened in the last three years uh, in the beer space is we've gone from having very few beer brands to having very many beer brands. Um, most of those beer brands are, tar- are pitched and targeted towards your, uh, you know, hipster, um, um, bearded yep. crowd yep. Um, that you know are interested in ludicrous things on the bottle and yep. you know 
funky and weird and interesting and silly and stupid yes. um, kind of look and feel. Yes. And um, what that's done is is it's you know each one of these guys that have brought products out have kind of tried to be sillier than the than the one before them. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's where you kind of have your delving into your you know you know like ridiculous artwork on cans not to say that that's not a good thing I think it's I think a lot of the artwork on cans is great yes and if it's working for some brands they should keep using it and that's mm. wonderful absolutely right uh, just uh, you know I think I think all I'm saying is that it's become more difficult to differentiate yourself on a shelf um, and at the end of the day when a consumer that is not necessarily clued into the market is looking at a shelf filled with products you know if you've got 200 products on that shelf um, and you want them to pick yours over the other 199, yes. uh, you've got to do something bright and funky and interesting to catch their attention. Absolutely. It could almost be too much going on and therefore people will always revert to what they've always bought yeah. and therefore not actually try a different beer, which is obviously not what the market wants. Yeah. We've actually um, kind of taken a different route attached mm -hmm. to this and try to keep our packaging very simple yeah. just to be kind of contrarian yeah. um, and just to kind of go, everyone's moving in this kind of putting weird, weird, funky shit on their, excuse my yep. language, on, no, their, it's completely fine. On, on their, on their labels. Yeah. Um, and, um, and we've kind of gone, let's just keep it simple and, and let's, let's, just you know, super clean and pure, yeah, really. Exactly right. Yeah, cool. So that's what we've tried to do. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you, Zev, as I do ask on every single Common Ground podcast, is I, I know you're in your mid twenties, so this is a it won't take you long to think back. Yeah. But what would you what would you say to the twenty year old Zev Meltzer in order to give him some advice? What would I say to the twenty year old Zev Meltzer? Um, yeah, don't be scared. Yeah. Just don't be scared. Did you find your word when you were 20? Yeah. Yeah. Between, between uh, my ages of 20 and about 23 or 24, yep. um, I had no idea as to where I was um, going to land up. Yeah. And um, from, a, you know, from a career point of view. Um, and I wasn't comfortable with where I was heading and I was concerned that I would... I guess I was scared that I would that I would land up in something that I didn't want to yep. pursue. Yep. Um, so I guess what I would tell myself is just trust yourself, mm. stay on the journey, follow your passion, mm -hmm. and um, you'll be all right. Good man. Yeah. Yeah. Zeb, thanks so much for coming in today. I really appreciate your time. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks Cheers. for having me.